0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Faith is not the means by which I get what I want from God. Faith is the means by which I trust God with what God wants for me, whatever that might be. Whether it be something great or whether it be something that is difficult to handle and go through. Faith is the means by which I receive what God has for me and trust Him enough to be able to do it.
1: Today on Practical Christian Living, we delve into the incredible Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Here, we find some amazing and unlikely heroes of faith, those who faced obstacles and struggled through failures. Yes, failures in the Bible, just like us. And yet, they used the faith they had and saw God move in powerful ways. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson, with Hebrews chapter 11.
0: Father, we want to thank you again for all you're continuing to do in our lives, for the blessings that you bring. We pray now as we consider faith that we would be men and women who would live by faith, trusting in you for all that you have done and all that you will do in our lives. And we pray that your spirit would be our teacher today. In the name of Jesus, amen. The title of our message today is The Court of Faith in a court like a courtroom. Faith is that means by which we trust and believe in God. We are not to live by sight, but we are to live by faith. We as Christians, it's not that we see and then believe. It's that we believe and then we see. I realize that some of you guys may say, well, that's really not me. I'm not a person who believes and then sees. I'm a person who sees and then believes. And all I can say to you is that Jesus said, if you will have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this this mountain, mootin too, whatever a mootin would be, be removed and be cast into the sea. The disciples had asked, increase our faith. Because if we think, you know what, I'm a person that struggles with faith, I don't have much faith, the first thing that you might think is, Lord, increase my faith. D.L. Moody, when he was a young man, felt he didn't have much faith, and he asked God to increase it. Until he read Romans 10, which said faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so he began then to study God's word, and he said that his faith increased ever since. He began to pour himself into the word of God. The disciples had asked Jesus, increase our faith. And Jesus said, have I been with you this long and you still don't understand me if you have faith the size of a mustard seed? In other words, it's not about growing in faith. As we talk about the hall of faith today in Hebrews 11, it's not about you and I growing our faith. It's about using the faith you already have You might not have much faith. You might be a person that has to see and then believe, but I'm gonna guarantee you that every person here in this room has at least a mustard seed of faith. It's about using it. Sometimes we confuse faith with confidence or faith without having any doubts. We say, I I struggle. I, I don't really have a lot of confidence and so I wanna do what God calls me to do, but I really struggle with that. And to you I say, welcome to the club. Do you think that there is a Christian that has ever lived that didn't struggle with faith at one point or another? When I was a new Christian, I struggled with believing the Bible. I struggled with whether or not I could trust what was written there. And it was only through prophecy that I began to get a solid, good, solid feeling for what the Bible had to say, being able to trust it. In fact, somebody said to me not too long ago, I wish I, wish I was like you. I wish I, I had faith. But what they really didn't know about me is that I'm pretty skeptical. I'm a skeptical individual. I- I'm always that way. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. I don't believe in Bigfoot. I don't believe in aliens. I don't believe in Nessie. If somebody tells me that something weird happened to them when they were praying, and by saying weird, I kind of show you where I'm at. If somebody comes up to me and says, I was praying last night, and this light showed up in my room, and immediately what goes on in my mind is, okay, let me get out of here as far away <laughs> as I can. And then the Lord speaks to my heart. Why couldn't I do that? Why couldn't I work in somebody's life in a supernatural way? And I go, oh, okay, yeah, you can. I realize that God can, but I'm a skeptical individual. But skepticism and a lack of faith are not necessarily the same thing. Let me use an example. Let's just say there's two guys, one of them from the heart of India. I mean a village way back in rural India. Never had any exposure to things that are, are modern-day at all. And then there's another guy who's from New York. He grew up in it, right among the skyscrapers. Well, the guy from India finds his way to New York, and he's got an address. And somebody says, where, where are you, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for the address on here. <laughs> all right, he's from India. And so the guy says, well, you got to go into that skyscraper, and you got to press the button, and a box is going to open up, and you got to get in it. I have to get into the box? Yes and then press the 25th button and go to the top. So the guy from India goes over, doesn't really believe that's gonna work, looks around the box, and he presses the button in the elevator, and he hesitantly steps into it, and he finds 25, and he presses it, and the door closes, and he gets there. The guy from New York follows him. He walks up, presses the button, steps in, presses 25, and goes right to the top of the floor. One of them had great confidence. The other one had no confidence at all, but they both did it. And they both got to the 25th floor. That's faith. Faith is not about having great confidence when you do something. It's just about doing it. And that's why the Bible says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, then you could say to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Because then, even though you might hesitate, even though you might struggle, even though you might have some doubts, you end up doing it. The individual who says, I want to live for God, you struggle to really do it, but you end up doing it, that person has faith. The person that struggles and doesn't do it is the person that doesn't have faith. Now, the Bible tells us that it is by faith that we gain what God wants for us. It's not by faith that we gain what we want for ourselves. When me and Lisa were first married, we attended a four-square church, which is a Pentecostal church, and the faith movement had kind of infiltrated that church. The faith movement is the teachings that God wants you rich. The very first time I ever heard it, I thought, what a coincidence. I want to be rich, too. (laughs) God wants me rich, and I want to be rich. I'd also learned that God wanted me to have a Corvette. I want a Corvette, and God wants me to have a Corvette. This is awesome. Even that night, though, the very night I was exposed to it, I'm driving home, and the Holy Spirit brings a scripture to my mind, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Those that teach godliness as a means of financial gain, get away from them, it says. But with godliness, there is great gain if you're content. Learning to be content and godly brings great gain into our lives. But those who teach godliness as a means of financial gain, we're supposed to get as far away from them as we possibly can. But in that church, the the name it and claim it kind of thing was being taught. If you claim it, you're gonna get it from God. So all kinds of people were claiming all kinds of things. And if somebody got a cold, I don't have a cold. Your nose is running all over the place, but I don't have a cold. I'm not gonna claim this thing. And one of our friends claimed a girl in the church. Now, gals, this is creepy, okay? There was our friend and there was this really good-looking girl. And he said, he tried to date her, she rejected him. And so he said, I claim you in the name of Jesus. And he told all of us that God told him he was going to marry her because he had claimed her in the name of Jesus. And he believed that until she walked down the aisle with someone else (laughs) and took vows and got married. And it devastated him because faith is not the means by which I get what I want from God. Faith is the means by which I trust God with what God wants for me, whatever that might be. Whether it be something great or whether it be something that is difficult to handle and go through, faith is the means by which I receive what God has for me and trust him enough to be able to do it. Now, the chapter that we're studying today is the Hall of Faith. We're going to cover the different faith of different individuals. We're going to see how their faith worked in different areas of their lives. And eventually, and I don't want to go into great detail about Abraham, but eventually we'll get to Abraham. And Abraham is known to us as the father of faith. And you would think that if you study the life of Abraham, since he's the father of faith, that, that his life would just be, he would be a shining example of faith. Wouldn't you think that? A strong faith. But here's what you find out when you study Abraham. He struggled in the area of faith. God told him he wanted to leave Ur where he was, the, the, the country of Ur, and go to the land of Canaan. It took him 25 years to do it. And when he got there, the first thing that happened was there was a famine in the land. You would expect the father of faith to go, well, I'm going to stay right here and trust God. He called me to the land. He left and went to Egypt and had problems down there. And when God told him that his wife, who was barren, was going to have a son, uh, he believed it. But then he also, when his wife said, why don't you take my handmaiden, Hagar, make her your concubine, go in unto her and have a baby by her, Abraham said, okay and did it. And so then when God came back and said, your wife, Sarah, is going to conceive and have a son. Sarah's getting older by this point. And Abraham says, oh, God, I've already taken care of it. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I've already taken care of it, God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said of Ishmael, I will bless Ishmael. He is your son and kings will come from him and I will bless him. But the one who will bless the world will come through Sarah. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. In all of this struggle, he finally gets to the point where he believes God and it's accounted to him as righteousness. That's where he is saved. So that Abraham becomes a father of faith, not because he had this great outstanding faith, but because he was called from one land into another just like us. We have been called from the world into a life of faith. We've been called from the world into a life of following after him, belonging citizens of heaven rather than citizens here. And you may struggle just like Abraham struggled. It's not a matter of not having any struggles. It's a matter of finally making the right decisions. Now, there's an introduction to faith here in the beginning of this text. It says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the means by which we receive what God wants for us, and the things that we hope for, faith is the substance by which we gain it. Now, hope in the Bible, we've talked about this a lot. Hope in the Bible is different than hope in our society. If I say, I hope so, it usually means a long shot. I hope I win the lottery, right? Whatever you're hoping for, it's a long shot. But in the Bible, hope is different. The Bible says, we have our hope in Christ, therefore we live a worthy life of that calling. Do you see the surety behind hope? Because our hope is in him, we now live the way that we should. And so faith is the substance of those things we hope for. It's the means by which we get our hands on it. You don't get your hands on it by doing works. You don't go out and feed the homeless. It's not that we as Christians don't feed the homeless because we do, but that's a fruit of the faith. We grab a hold of what God wants for us by faith. You don't have to do one thing. In fact, if you did have to do a bunch of stuff in order to receive favor from God, I think a lot more people would step out to do it. If, if I told you I could prove to you from the Bible that if you would go on a great quest for God and gain something, there be a lot of people who would go on that quest. But if I tell you it's by faith, that today in your heart you believe him and that you trust in him, that's the substance of what we hope for. And it is the evidence of things not seen. There's a lot that goes on that we don't see. We don't see where God's taking us now. We don't see what God's doing. We don't see the blessings in giving up, seeking our own way today and beginning to live for God. We don't see eternity and we don't see heaven. We don't see Jesus returning for us now. But faith becomes the evidence for all of those. In other words, if you are a man or a woman that live by faith, that faith becomes the evidence to you that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, that Jesus is coming back for you, that if you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus, that that is the best life for you to live. If you don't believe in God, if you don't trust in him by faith, then there's no evidence for those things for you. You say, well, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. I don't know if Jesus is coming back for me. I don't know if being about God's business, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I don't know if that's the best way to live. But when you begin to walk by faith, that becomes the evidence to you that this is the right way to live. And this is what God's going to do. Now, verse two says, for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. The elders is a reference to the Old Testament saints. Moses, David, Abraham, Noah, uh, Enoch, uh, and, and the list can go on. We're gonna go all the way through this over the next few weeks. So that's the elders, and they obtained a good testimony, not by what they did, but by faith. Always by faith, every one of them. Different areas and different aspects of faith. And I wanna say that you and I are gonna receive a good testimony before God when we finally stand before him, either he comes back for us or we breathe our last breath and we are suddenly in front of the Lord, that you're going to obtain a good testimony by faith. That's how he will say good and faithful servant. And if you're still shaky as to exactly what faith is, hopefully by the end of chapter 11, with us going through it, you won't be. It starts off, though, this hall of faith, not by talking about Abel, which you'll get to in verse four, but he starts off talking about us. We... Some of us or most of us are in the hall of faith. I don't know if you ever realized that before. It says in verse three, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The very first person that is in the hall of faith are those that believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that God created everything that we see? Do you believe that God created you? Then you have faith. And we have to believe it by faith. There's no way for me to prove that there is a God and there's no way for me to prove that God created the heavens and the earth. And so I admit to you that we believe that by faith. Now, some of you here don't believe that the world was created by God. You believe that the world was created by a big bang. All I'm gonna ask of you, you can believe whatever you wanna believe. I'm not here to make you believe one thing over another thing. All I'm asking you to do is be honest. When someone says, well, I believe that the world was created by a Big Bang and we have evidence of that, we have proof of that. No, you don't, because no one was there. And all your evidence is, because you say that you found, they, they found residual radiation from, a, from an ancient explosion. How do you know that that residual radiation isn't there from the creation How much energy did it take for God to create the universe? And how do you know that that residual radiation is there from that rather than some big bang? And you already have to have matter for the big bang to work. In other words, if you believe in the big bang, you believe that everything that is here, the ground, the earth, the rocks, what's in your flesh, everything had already existed. And that it began to compress. And as gravity took hold, everything, everything in the universe all the planets, all the stars, all the universes, all of that matter began to compress. And that it compressed to something that was infinitely smaller than a dot from a pencil on a piece of paper. All the matter of the universe. And then with it all being that close, it suddenly exploded. And it was instantaneous. It didn't explode and go boom and go throughout the universe. It exploded, boom, all over the universe at the same time. That's what you believe about the Big Bang Theory. Now. The thing about that is, where did the stuff come from that was compressed? You say, well, uh, it just was there all of a sudden. Really? You believe that there was nothing and then there was stuff. (laughs) I believe that God has always existed. You say, well, I believe that, that the material for the earth always existed. Well, okay. Then just admit to me it's by faith because you have no proof. You can't scientifically prove that something came out of nothing. You can't scientifically prove that everything has always existed. So you have as much faith as I do. In fact, I think you got more, because I think it takes more faith to believe that something came out of nothing. There was nothing, boom, there was something. (laughs) Tell me when you've seen that happen. It takes more faith to believe that. I also think the same thing is true about evolution. I think it takes more faith to believe evolution than it does to believe that God created everything. First of all, you've got to consider the complexity that we have, just of of us, much less the universe, the the earth. If the earth didn't have a magnetic field, you wouldn't have life on it. Life could have never have so-called evolved, okay? If it was closer to the sun or further away from the sun, it couldn't have happened. If we didn't have a moon around it, it couldn't happen. If the earth wasn't even all the way around, the topography of the earth, if it was uneven, we would have spun out of control and flown out of the universe or moved closer or farther away. There's all of these combinations that had to happen that make the earth absolutely perfect for life to be able to exist here. And then a scientist says, I can prove evolution. Our evolution is a proven fact whenever I hear that, I always think, or I'll ask if someone says that to me, then then tell me. Tell me your proof. I want to hear your proof. And they go, well, I can't tell you the proof. (laughs) Why can't you tell me the proof? Because you're not smart enough. Now, they don't say you're not smart enough. They say it's too complicated, it takes too long, I really wouldn't be able, you might not be able to grasp it and understand it. Now granted, I am not the sharpest spoon in the drawer, (laughs) okay? I realize I'm not even in the knife category, all right? I'm not the sharpest knife. I'm not the sharpest spoon in the drawer, all right? And I'm just talking strictly intelligence now, okay? I'm just being really honest, all right? There are people with a lot higher IQ than what I have. There are people that have a perfect photographic or eidetic memory. They just get it and... They're they're out there. So I understand there are a lot of people that can understand a whole lot more than me. All I got to do is sit in a math class and I realize I'm dumb. I'm as dumb as a rock. (laughs) I don't understand this at all. But if you are so sharp, if you are one of the sharpest knives and you have proved to yourself evolution, then you should be sharp enough to explain it to a spoon, right? You should use your smartness to be able to explain to someone who doesn't get it. I'll tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for scientists. I'm not talking about creation scientists, which there are a lot of them out there. I'm thankful for scientists who are not creationists, who are honest about evolution, because there's a few of them who say there is no proof for evolution. And evolution as it has been taught cannot be true. If you want to read something on it, there's a book by an author by the name of Behe who wrote Darwin's Black Box, and he explains the problems with evolution and the lack of proof for it. There's another book called Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. It wasn't written by a Christian, wasn't written by a creationist. It was written by a scientist who was honestly saying, listen, I've heard these guys claiming there's proof for evolution and I have never seen it. And I'm thankful for honest men who will do that. When it comes to evolution, first of all, the fossil record doesn't back it up. When Darwin wrote Origin of Species, he said, by the way, it was Origin of Species for the human races. In other words, Darwin believed that certain races had moved further down the evolutionary line than others. Now, that title, secondary title, has been taken off of the book. And they don't talk about the fact that Darwin was racist and that he believed that that the Europeans had gone further down the evolutionary path than others. That was his thinking, okay? And it's there. All you got to do is do a little research to find out it was true. Hitler actually used the origin of species to make his point that Jews were inferior to Europeans, okay? Now, where was I going with all of this? Now that I've gone on my little tangent against Darwin. Fossils. That's where I was. Were you guys saying that? Were you saying fossils? All right. So the fossil record, Darwin said in his Origin of Species that if the fossil record doesn't back it up, then I'm wrong. And the fossil record doesn't back it up. We had a, uh, a debate between Dr. Gish, who is a biologist, an acclaimed biologist, and we wanted him to debate somebody from the U of A. And uh, we couldn't get anybody to do it. No one would receive it. So we took out an ad in the back of the Wildcat and we told that. You know, we can't get somebody, a professor from U of A to debate our creationists. And we challenge any professor to step up and do it. So we had a professor that did it. We gathered together in, the, uh, in McHale Center. We had a bunch of students that were there and a bunch of people from the church. And we had this debate between Dr. Gish and, and this professor. He made a mistake right out of the shoot. I'm talking about the professor. One of the first things that he said is, let's not take the fossil record. In his intro... Let's not talk about the fossil record. Well, Dr. Gish got up and said, I understand why he wants to not talk about the fossil record, because it speaks against evolution. When you look at the fossil record, everything comes on the scene all of a sudden in the Cretaceous period. There is no evolution. There is no starting from one small little non-complex cell turning into something else. It all of a sudden, complexity, boom, comes on the scene, which supports creation. It doesn't support evolution.
1: We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com.